What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another uh, another episode of Totem Talks. That is correct. Season three, episode eighteen. Take three. Yeah, easily take three. <laughs> take uh, take a week later. How about that? Yeah, yeah. For everyone yeah. at home wondering what has happened, they won't uh, notice any difference. Yeah, you'll you'll never notice. But if you're wondering why we said that, uh, technical difficulties caught us trying to record this episode multiple times and then yeah. having it uh, not work anymore in the middle of us recording. Yep. And so we had to take a week off and we're back. We're going to try it one more time. It's uh, it's been a, it's been a thing. Yeah. And with a casualty, Alex has passed in the last week. Well, well passed on by that, being in this episode. Passed on being in this episode is what I was saying. Yes. yes. Yeah. I believe his words were, I have to clean. Something so, like that. That's that, that's life, I guess. It hits you. It is. Hits you right in the mop. <laughs> all right. Well, well uh, this is Totem Talks, and I'm Pat. And I am Nick. Cool. And that is all. That's all we got. Uh, but anyway, we got an interesting one uh, today. Quite. I think. Uh, it was interesting a week ago when we started it, too. And it's <laughs> that still, it was. it's still just as interesting now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Nick, why don't you tell us who we're, uh, who we're, who we're, I would uh, who we're doing love today? To. Yeah, we've got all uh, one-word artists. So we're starting with Beck. Moving into extreme and rounding things out with wham. Accurate, accurate. Was that a, okay? Was that enough ex- exclamation? Yeah, the for exclamation you? point okay. there was was worth it, and you, you did a good job. On okay, it. good. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Um, I, that's the best word I can describe this week. Sure. With is interesting. <clears throat> but I so guess then, uh, well then without further ado, yeah, yeah tell us a little take bit about us Beck. Right into Beck. So Beck David Hansen, uh, who was born Beck David Campbell is an American musician, singer, songwriter, and record producer. And before we get too yes. far in, the interesting thing about Beck is that he was born Beck, B-E-K, and he went, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to add the C to Beck. It was strange. I like As far as stage names go, Beck was just B-E-K, cooler to me. And you know what? I mean, he is particularly known for like his uniqueness and like making himself stand out in different ways. So it seems like he went with the safer choice. Yeah. Well, uh, which he did is not the last do time that. I'll say that. I'm sure. Yeah, he did not do that. Moving more more in depth into his career, but we did go over three back albums. Uh, we started with Golden Feelings from 1993. We followed that up with Odelay from 1996. And then we covered Hyperspace from 2019. Yes. Because that's, that's our formula. And uh, yeah. I guess you can start us off, Nick, with Golden Feelings. I would love to. Sure. Um, Alex isn't here to start us off uh, and say how terrible he thought this album was. Uh, and it is bad to listen to. Um, bad it's is not a pleasant. It's, it's not pleasant to listen to. Uh, it, is, it is bizarre. Um, it's done all with weird vocal effects. Um, like, for an example, the first track he uses, like, banging a shopping cart on the wall as percussion. So, yeah, that we're at, like, right. yeah, we're, us- we're at a whole new level of weird. Uh, and it's, it's just very weird and bizarre and very unpleasant. But I will take some positives out of it because I think it's possible to do that. Um, particularly luck. because... Uh, of right in the middle of the album, there's a track called Heartland Feeling. So on that track, it essentially opens with Beck talking about, like, there are a lot of these artists like John Mellencamp and Bruce Springsteen whose songs relate entirely on this feeling 
that comes from quote unquote like the American heartland. Uh, and then he proceeds to like write a song in the style of a John Mellencamp, uh, where he just like follows salt of the earth people on their life journey and like a, a glimpse into a day in the life of this, you know, working man from Nebraska, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. And uh, it is definitively hilarious. And, you know, this was when I got, it. I was like, okay, so this is all satire. He's just like, like the whole purpose of this album, none of it was supposed to be good sounding or the song, you know, you weren't supposed to like the songs, but it was all on some level satire poking fun at different things. So from there, I was like, okay, well, at least there was a direction and it's not just like hard to listen to and bad songs for the sake of writing bad songs because he couldn't do anything else. Like there was at least a reason. Uh, and I did laugh out loud throughout this entire album and usually when we have really bad albums um that are just absolutely tough to listen to there's nothing funny about it it's just suffering this was like he was actually funny on this <sighs> okay well i hated it i hated it a lot and and here's what i'm gonna say before i get too far into my review your point of at least you know it was all satire and blah 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 like i don't necessarily agree with your take okay. on that, because I have heard plenty of satire artists who manage to completely mock whatever genre they're going for, but still sound good. Sure. Yeah, it's very like, I think that's the problem. I mean, you look at other artists, like uh, a, a more kind of lesser known one is Richard Cheese, who yeah, right. turns a whole bunch of songs into like schmaltzy love songs, making fun mm -hmm. of both the song and the schmaltzy love song genre. Mm-hmm. But he sounds good doing it. Weird Al, very famous for his mm -hmm. satire and parody songs, still sounds good doing it. You know, like, there are plenty of people who do it for satirical purposes that do it well and still make fun of what they're trying to make fun of. Certainly. Beck it may absolutely, and I agree with you on the part where he does do it in a satirical way to make fun of what he's trying to make fun of. But at the end of the day, like... Audio-wise, like sonically, it's just screechy. It's very weird, very sped vocals, some backwards tapes, some sampling, all thrown together in this like hodgepodge of weirdness. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to overlook that to get to that underlying meaning because it's so in your face with just bad, bad sounds. Yeah. It, it is. It's very. It's very bad up front. Like it. Like, and I, I will give him that. Like half step up that he isn't trying to be good. So he'll get like you know that half step up based on like other artists that have just put out these like either blatant audio products or mm -hmm. worse even than that is a band who's trying really hard to to do something good, but come out like you know jesus and mary chain's first sure. album or right pavement yeah this or... doesn't fall into either of those categories no it but it, it but it's it's annoying to me too like i don't know it's annoying to me yeah. as a musician to to know like to have that's what you're doing with music it, it bugs me mm -hmm. so on a musical level it bugs me and on like a musician level it bugs me mm -hmm. all in all it bugged me i was bugged <laughs> Uh, and I'll take us right into Odalay. Please. And I know for a fact that we disagree on Odalay. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. 
but I didn't like Odalay. I didn't like Odalay much at all. It was technically a lot better. I will give him credit for that. Like there was uh, significantly less like distortion and and garbagey vo- vocal effects and stuff like that. It was. Uh, it was music this time. Yeah, it was music. It was more varied um, as well. Uh, the first one, which we didn't mention, uh, primarily was under what's called anti-folk. Right. Which should tell you all you need to know about why we didn't like it, because we're more folk lovers here. True. But uh, this one is more of like an alt-rock sample-delia, which is, which is the genre as, as in psychedelia, but sample-delia. Mm. because that's all this is. A lot of it, anyway, is pulling different samples. Very common in the 90s, but still, I don't know. I It's tough for me because I know why you like this album, and I'll, I'll let you tell it. And I know yeah. why like the universe loves this album. It's universally acclaimed. That's fine. Yes. It, and as an art product, I totally understand. Beck is very good at thinking things through and, oh, definitely. and making a song based on his thoughts and things like that. But uh, the way that I, the way that it's like to me is it's like, you're going to like an art gallery in New York and that's what this album is. It's the musical version of a New York art gallery where somebody is, is, is making all of this art that is just completely over everyone's head. And it's not the same as somebody drawing where like, you know, who's a really good animator. If most if most sure. music is like just straight up talent like animation would be like with mm-hmm. drawing or just like really like amazing portraits this is the Andy Warhol soup cans. Sure. Why is he doing it? We don't really know, but we can we can acknowledge that it's art. Okay. See, I was thinking you were going to go like this is super abstract. This it, is like the Picasso section but, equivalent. Well, of, it, it is abstract, but I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like it's disguised as something non-abstract. Mm. Like Andy Warhol okay, yeah, didn't yeah. draw soup cans because right. he liked soup. <laughs> Andy Warhol drew <laughs> soup cans for much deeper reasons. Beck is doing the same thing. He's disguising mm-hmm. these, you know, okay at best songs and disguising deeper meanings in them. Sure. So, yeah, that's kind of okay. where I'm at. Right. Uh, and I mean, you've already alluded to where I stand and the universal acclaim for like a weird indie album has in the past always united us behind, wow, this really sucks. Like what on earth was everyone thinking? This was, I think, the album that all of the critics wanted every weird indie album to be. So in my mind, this is like finally where they got it right. Uh, and for all the reasons that you've kind of eliminated the fact that Beck is very much an artist's artist. Uh, I was really into this album. Um, I will say I don't, you know, necessarily love every song here. There were definitely some misses from me as well as hits. And and some of his bigger songs were on here. Um, uh, Devil's Haircut is one and Where It's At. Like those are two of the bigger ones from this record uh, and really from his discography. Um, but I, I really think it's mostly good. It's really varied. You never know what's coming next. Even within a song, you might get, you know, three or four different styles blended in together. Uh, And I think it's also important to note that Beck is playing everything on these, you know, like he does electric and slide, like slide guitar is one of his more signature sounds. Like it's really well known because if you know Beck, you know, loser for sure. Like that slide guitar sound that's, you know, that is kind of his signature that I've noticed throughout listening to his records. Uh, but he plays bass, organ, clavinet, electric piano, moog, 
uh, drums, percussion, like he's doing all the harmonica, like he's playing everything on all these tracks, uh, which I think is really impressive. Again, he's doing it very much his own way. This feels like a super unique and honest so, piece of art on. to me. I, I, I'm not trying to rag. Sure. I just want to be clear that while Beck is dabbling in all of those instruments, he is ve- he ver- only vocals is he playing one instrument? All is he playing for every song? Sure. Well, and so a like lot drums, of these songs he's on don't for track have five. True. So like, right, I'm but just, a lot of these songs um, don't necessarily have all those pieces in every spot. So there I might just, be a song where he plays like the Moog and acoustic guitar. Sure. Or, you know, like I'm just saying for for like the you know for people who aren't reading the wiki here. Sure. Like it would have it could have sounded like he was playing 15 instruments on every track, and that's not the case. No, no, Throughout the entire Although, album, he touches a right. lot of instruments, and I do give he him does. credit for that. Yeah. But I just wanted to be clear. And I and I will say like just to to kind of build on that point like. This album is, I don't know if it's necessarily the peak of his work. It's definitely considered one of his great ones. I think Sea Change and Mutations and a couple other albums are also like excellent from him. I ended up listening to those in their entirety and several other like snippets. Like I'd listen to three or four songs from a bunch of the other albums just to get, you know, kind of a taste of what he was doing throughout his career. Uh, And I totally lost my track of thought on that one. Oh, now I remember. Uh, He's much more of a maximalist. Like Beck is the kind of guy who's going to like, shove three different styles of music and 15 different instruments on a track frequently yeah like you definitely get like a very full complete idea on his songs they're not almost ever really super minimalist uh or like very reserved in the instrumentation so he does do a lot with instrumentation and that's a point i wanted to bring right before going into hyperspace his most recent album uh which was actually in large part, a collaboration with Pharrell Williams, interestingly enough. Uh, and it seems to me that through working with Pharrell, uh, one of the biggest things that took away from this album was the fact that it is no longer nearly so maximalist. Like he is not uh, arranging in his more signature style. Um, he's really pulled back, which yes. I will say he's done that in a very honest way. Like, I don't think Beck does anything unintentionally. I think this was, like, very much intended change and growth and differentiation to his style. And that being said, I didn't really like this album that much. Uh, I would not revisit pretty much everything else I listened to Beck on the albums in between his first and his last. I would absolutely go back and revisit. But this this just felt like kind of a boring synth poppy album. Uh, maybe a little too ambient for an artist like Beck, not really hitting my expectations at all. So I did like do a handful of readings uh, on articles like talking about his discography after this, just to see if I was crazy. And pretty much everything I had was like his first album's his worst, his most recent album is his second worst or third worst. Yeah. Like everybody else was in agreement that we pretty much got two of his probably his worst albums for the uh, formula of this week. Yeah, and I I obviously uh, agree with you. <laughs> this is what it boils down to for me. Up until now, up until this album, Beck to me has felt like the artist that a group of friends get baked and talk about. Yeah, I can That's see that. just what it feels like. Like a like a bunch of musicians will get together for a jam sesh. They'll do some illicit substances and talk about how deep Beck's album is. Yeah. Like, man, Odalit. Like, that's what it feels like. It doesn't feel like an, an artist that you're going to put on and just listen to. 
because you're in the mood to listen to music. He doesn't it's feel a, like it's, a, it's definitely an artistic experience. Yeah, it's like it's, it's, it's hard like watching an indie film instead of like an Avengers movie. I guess I don't even know. It's like watching a documentary, though. Maybe even more. I so like documentaries. Yeah, I like documentaries too. But like, if here's the th- that's what it comes down to. I like documentaries. But if somebody's like, "Hey, let's put on a movie," I'm not going to say, "Hey, let's okay, cool, let's put on Blackfish." Yeah, like yeah. that's sure. what it boils down to. Like he's he, it's a, it's almost a different creation than music. It's like sound art, mm-hmm. um, except for this album, which is garbage. <laughs> like. Because I felt like the one redeeming quality that I had for Beck was that I always felt like he had a strong message. Even mm-hmm. if I, even if it was a message I didn't feel like listening to because, you know, it almost, like, th- this more than anything else to me felt like summer reading from school. Because okay. it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not in the, in the emotional mood to deep dive into the, this dude's mysticisms. Um, except for this sure. album, which I was like, oh, this does not feel like there's a deeper meaning. It feels way more surface level. I'm sure that's a little bit mm-hmm. of Pharrell's influence. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but it just wasn't good. And again, and here more than anywhere else, Beck's weak vocals, like when you take out the artistic, artistic integrity of it and you're just doing a synth pop album, weak vocals are not good. And up yeah. until now, I haven't had to talk about them because right there was other stuff layered over top. Now of it's it. just yeah. he's not that good of a singer. Yeah, and he's not disguising it with anything here. Sure. So now I will just say because he's not here, Alex did tell me last week that this was his favorite Beck album for reasons that I can't elucidate because I don't understand. Alex also liked Limp Bizkit. Alex's opinions. Yeah, it, it must have real. been the same thing. <laughs> Alex's opinions are no longer real things. You're you're still upset about the. Limp I will Biscuit never thing. forget him liking <laughs> Limp Bizkit. Like yeah. literally, never in life. I know. All right, let's. Shall we just move on to uh, evalu- evaluating him? Yeah, I guess we should just giving him a score. Fantastic. So okay, cultural impact. I think what it boils down to here is people have probably know of Beck's existence. Yeah. And I think they definitely do. One Beck song, at least. They I might know like where it's at. No, they pro- I would. I would assume yeah. Beck to me, and it's ironic because we did not get his big song. I don't think right? we didn't do Loser. Yeah, we didn't do Loser. <laughs> That's the song. So, That's Beck's song. I I agree with you in a lot of ways, but I I would be remiss not to mention it's not like I mean Beck is definitely an alternative artist, right? So he's like going to be on the alternative radio stations not yeah you know the and on the alternative charts he has scored 24 top 40 hits sure like that's nothing to that's and like consistently over the course of his career like with every album he's been putting in top 40 hits on the alternative charts and that's totally fine and i completely you know get so that. like i'm not saying he's like a one but no I'm saying- i think he, he's significantly better than one He's, I mean, I would definitely consider him below average. I would consider him close to average, though. I mean, he's, yeah, like, I mean, well-known. He's won, I think, eight Grammys. He's been nominated for, like, 22 other ones. He, There was, like, a huge controversy not that long ago when he won Album of the Year over Beyonce, and everyone was like, oh, my God, how could Beck win over Beyonce? Because Beyonce is the most popular person in the world. And, like, that, there was a lot to that. Sure. Again, I'm fine with him being in the fours, but I think I don't believe. Yeah, I think Beck he needs to be in the fours. Over average 
musician. I think he's close to average, though. I mean, like, and he's also had consistent sales throughout his career, meaning he's got like a pretty loyal following uh, where he's like very consistently getting gold records or platinum records. Yeah, I mean, I, so. I get that. So I would definitely want to be def- I mean, I would have probably topped out around a five, but I'd like to be in the fours. Yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to go to like a four and a half. And I am totally okay with that. Uh, and for breadth of work, we've got 14 records. I already mentioned like he's got good sales. He's got, um, I believe, one platinum, one double platinum, and five or six other golds, not including British and Canadian certifications. Um, he tends to chart in the top 40-ish uh, with great frequency in many different countries. And I know we disagree on the quality, but I think everything in the middle of his, his, his career is of very high quality. It was We got like essentially the two albums that I didn't like that I listened to. Sure, uh, and, and that was it. That's fine. I I understand. I did enjoy everything else that we listened to from him. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I didn't like three out of three albums. Fair. So there's um, there's a lack of points there for me. Well, I am going to cancel out your any negative points um, with my strong taste for bad. Uh, but 14 albums plus certifications and stuff being there decently, uh, I think has to probably put us in the low sixes. Yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to go to like. A six to not give him the the dip in points that I want to give him. Oh, he should be getting a plus in points for quality. No, he should not. I want a six point one. I can't do it. I can't possibly go any higher than a six. I, I, right, I will average de- a six. And- I want desperately to go into the fives and give him the quality dip that I want to give him for not. That's wild. Literally disliking all three of these albums. And I loved three of his albums that I listened to, and like. That's fine, but track. I listened to three of his albums. I listened to All Golden right. Feelings, Odelay, and Hyperspace, and I disliked three of his albums, Golden Feelings, Odelay, That's and fine. Hyperspace. All right, I'm fully canceling out any negative points you give him now. That's fine, uh, and in- so I'm doing that for talent. You. Yeah, instrumental talent, I think. Um, you kind of mentioned that the vocals aren't particularly good. They're not like take me out of the song bad either. He has like a very throwaway style. Yeah, it's uh, just. That, that's kind of his thing. I would say his ability to play proficiently on like at least a dozen other instruments over the course of his albums also cancels out like subpar vocals to the point where we're still looking around an average score for him. Yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to He doesn't to do go... anything that blows me away, but he like very competently plays anything that you put in front of him, it seems. Here's basically what I would boil it down to. We've established before that this this is a comparison of musicians in terms of scoring instrumental talent. Regular people who don't play instruments or have just picked it up once or twice don't count. And so for that reason, instead of giving him an above average score for being able to have such a wide variety Mm -hmm. of instruments played in essence in a mediocre way. Well enough. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would say. I'd be putting him in like the high four to a five. I was thinking right on the nose at five is where I felt comfortable with that. Jack of all trades, now, master of none. Yeah, right. I fully agree. Now, you and I might feel differently about songwriting talent because I do think that Beck is absolutely an elite talent when it comes to songwriting. I think he displays many of the hallmarks that we describe songwriting talent as, which is every single album displays growth and difference. Every single album uh, shows a wide variety of instrumentations and styles within uh, and to me, most of his career is fantastic because of those things. Like, I would have him as one of our uh, elite artists here in this category. Yeah, I mean, I'm just absolutely not there. 
Okay. A lot of so it, my number for Beck would be probably in the eights. Yeah. Uh, here's the problem. So you're going to have to do a lot of negotiating down. Oh, and here's the problem. Just listening to the stuff, listening to Odelay, it was very like, oh, I get it. But it mm-hmm. wasn't good. Like artists, the artists that we But I have, think it was good for the record. Artists that I disagree. We I like, I thought the songs were good. Artists that we have covered who have hit that like elite writer category mm-hmm. manage to craft songs in a way that both has a strong meaning and is pleasant to the ear all the way through their discography. Mm-hmm. And even on Odelay, which is the one you were raving about, you still mm-hmm. said there were songs on that that you didn't like. Sure. But you know what? They were done in a totally different way with different styles. And I total and I would respect it. Like I mean, I can if respect he goes to, it. if I'm he goes trying. to places that I don't necessarily like, but I'm like, he is trying and experimenting with something new there. I'm like, I'm fine with that. Like I'll, I'll st- I would still listen to Odelay all the way through just to, you know, to like to rehear those parts and kind of understand the different places he's coming from. So to me, Beck is just, you know, and like I said, I really enjoyed the songs. Uh, he is an artist that hits on all the hallmarks of what songwriting talent is on this podcast. So I, I, mean, I have him in the eight. Hits, hits maybe in hits maybe in letter of the law, but not in the spirit of the law. To you, and that's fine. But I just I I'm yeah. I'm, I mean, I respect that you didn't enjoy it, but I I think and it's just it you know, felt so. You know what? I know exactly. It felt pretentious. The the songwriting felt me. pretentious. It felt like okay. I'm Beck, and I'm writing these songs, and some people will get them, and some people won't, and that's mm-hmm. like, but there, but like at the end of the day, you can still do that and write like pleasant songs that sound good, and like more, I, than, I, I way more songs than Knots did not sound. Good. His whole first album, I get what you feel, is a yeah. huge, uh, and that's an aberration. Yeah, but the whole first album and the whole last album were not good at songwriting. Uh, see, they weren't good I, I still respect the the last album for the fact that it was a complete change of style and instrumentation from I, everything he'd done before. I, I mean, you can and I don't think he was doing it because he was like, oh, I'm going to work with Pharrell and but make a mainstream thing, pop album. You can respect somebody for making a choice, but that like it doesn't need to be a net gain. Like, oh, like, oh, I respect that you changed what you did here. Like, I respect the heck out of Michael Jordan for playing baseball for a couple of years. He sucked at mm-hmm. baseball. He doesn't get any bonus points for playing baseball. Okay. Same thing here. Beck did not do well with the okay. synth pop last well, album. Just I'm not giving him points for that. Tell, tell me where you want to start the negotiations from. You know I, that my number's in the eights. Listen, I'd be willing to go in the sixes. Uh, then we're going to have to negotiate our way into the seven and a half range. I mean, I'd be willing. I'd be, I would honestly be in the like low sixes based on what i listened okay. to okay and i my but numbers right you're around also eight and you're half. also basing it on multiple albums that we did not listen to that aren't part of our formula sure sure but that i mean that further educated me to his talents <sighs> i don't know man it's just it just seems i mean like... we do that all the time with artists that we have a good background knowledge of and we like passively mention the other stuff that we don't get to on the podcast yeah, there's a difference between passively I mean, mentioning and i just enjoyed odelay so much that i listened to a bunch of his other albums and found them to be of an incredibly high quality i just think there's a difference between passively mentioning like oh yeah also this and even though we listened to two albums that sucked and one album that you think was really good and i respect that like the formula is two of them sucked sure so i'm i'm even i'm and even I, going the, higher than it's I would not representative of his career Look, if I'm at eight and a half, you're in the low sixes, so we're going to meet somewhere in the sevens. 
I guess. And that's where it's at, which is a Beck song. So I'm going to give him a seven and a half because that's okay. up a point for you and down a point for me. Okay. I will let you have full reign over poetic talent, though. I mean, what do you want me to say? You can have whatever you want. What do you want me to say? It was yelly. It was annoying at times. The whole first album is a wash on that. The last album, the lyrics felt pretty vapid and uninspired. Uh, like, it's this, this is maybe an average score because okay. I'm sure he has a meaning behind mm-hmm. his stuff. Sure. But I'm fine with that. What, whatever you say goes on this one. Yeah, I mean, I just give him a five. I don't even. Uh, All right, five I, it is. I'm bugged. Is there X Factor? No, I don't have an X Factor for Beck. Okay, then let us move on to Extreme. Extreme is an American rock band formed in Boston, Massachusetts in 1985. I'm out. They were active from 1985 to 1996, and then again from 2004 to the present day. And uh, that's a lot of information on them. We went over three albums. Uh, We went over Extreme from 1989. We went over Porno Graffiti from 1990, and we went over, and I am sorry for the pronunciation, Saudades de Rock. That seemed pretty decent. Seemed close. Are you actually Portuguese? <laughs> I am not, uh, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so I probably did butcher it, but I did my best. You did. And I will go first here, uh, and I'll talk yes. about Extreme. it's your turn. So, Extreme has one very famous song. It's a song called yes. More Than Words which we will talk about and discuss in the next album. But it is a song that we've covered in the band, and it's a song that has been very famously played. It's an, it's an acoustic piece, uh, double vocals. Uh, it's, it's a really, you know, me- mellow piece. Mm-hmm. And that's the only song I've ever heard by Extreme. Yeah, likewise. And then the only other thing I ever knew about Extreme was that Gary Cherone, the lead singer, was at one point the lead singer of the band Van Halen after after our bop, boy. Bop, bop, bop. <laughs> yeah, which I'm going to do. I'm going to do. After our boy left. And by our boy, I mean, of course, our boy. Yes. <laughs> but after he left the band. And I never knew why. And it was confusing to me and weird to me that the guy who sang more than words did this. Right. And then now it all makes sense. This is a glam rock <laughs> album, a glam metal, like 80s rock, hardcore hair band. Wild to me. Yep. Uh, but it the only way that I can describe it is it felt like the great value brand Van Halen. Yep. All the way through. Um, I, I enjoyed a lot of Van Halen, uh, particularly Van Halen's guitar playing. And uh, Nunu Betancourt does very well on the guitar. He's not Eddie Van Halen. He's extremely talented. Though. Yes, he's he's got a lot of talent, but he's he's obviously not Van Halen. However, everything else from the subject matter, you know, obviously writing about, you know, teacher's pet and like big boys don't cry and like a lot of songs about women and one song called Little Girls, which just I, I don't know why. Why do bands still write these songs? <laughs> I mean, this was 1989. I mean, yeah, sure. But so, it was 89. Like, at that point, they'd been doing it for several I, decades. Should have stopped. I agree. Um, but it, it felt like a total Van Halen knockoff. It's even mentioned that they have, they're heavily influenced by Van Halen. Yeah. Um, it's just very uninspired. Like, imitation is the highest form of flattery, I guess. And that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel new or unique in any way yep. at all. Um, yeah. 
and most of the songs are completely forgettable to me. Uh, the only yeah. song that wasn't forgettable to me was the song Play With Me. And the only reason is because I know that song is from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Right, yeah. And that's, that's it. As that's soon it. as that one came on, I was like, oh, I've now put a name to that song that I heard from that movie once. Right, which is a great movie. Yes. If you were thinking about listening to Extreme with us this week, go watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure instead. Yeah. Uh, would be my advice to you because uh, for all the reasons that Pat has elucidated in the friendliest possible way, uh, this album kind of sucks. Extreme kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, they're like 85% discount Van Halen. 15% an amalgamation of everything else hair metal did in the decade previous. With I mean it's like lackluster It's vocals. not even yeah. I mean it's not even like new to the scene. It's like nothing about this like hadn't just been, you know, repeated over the last 12 years before this album came out. Uh so it's super uninspired like lyrically you mentioned like some of the titles and the bland subject matter, but it's also like literally just like all cliches like they it's so unimaginative they couldn't even say the same old thing in a slightly different way they're just literally using cliche phrases as lyrics throughout their albums like the writing is bad there's nothing that happened on a single song that i couldn't have predicted that it was coming two seconds previous like oh they're gonna do this oh they're gonna do that and it was so paint by numbers like the songwriting just stinks to me this album is sort of like the opposite of how you felt about Odalay, where like sonically, sure, it's totally fine. There's nothing offensive about having it on in the background, but there is no artistic substance to it at all. Right. At all. Uh, yeah, so I'll go into pornography. <laughs> or yeah. go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say like this album is the opposite of how I feel about Odalay. You're exactly right. Yeah, right. There's, it's, there's no, if you took this album in terms of its pleasing sonic elements and Odalay, mm-hmm you would have a top two album for me. Yeah, sure, sure. So artistic depth mixed with pleasant sounds. Yeah. Um, so porno graffiti has more than words. Um, yeah. So if you're going to listen to a song from this band, that's the one. It was the one I knew com- coming into this episode. It's the only one I'll listen to again after this episode by this band. Um, again, it's like it's the same album as the first one. It's riddled with cliches. Like I forget which song it was. It might have been the first one, Decadence Dance, where it's literally just... Like they gathered together like 30 cliche phrases and wove them into lyrics. And it was bad. I mean, they have like, um, you know, the standard, like they'll throw in a a hard rock 80s ballad at some point to mix up the Van Halen covers, which are, you know, essentially like songs that Van Halen like recorded and never put on an album because they sucked so much. And they're like, we'll just take them and record them uh, is what it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It it wasn't good. Also, this on the song He Man Woman Hater, it sounded like they like accidentally left a click track from the studio on to start it, and they're like, "Whoops, let me let me turn that back off." Um, so it sucked. Uh, the songwriting is un- uninspired. I didn't like it. Um, the only thing that's good, I mean, like Nuno Betancourt is phenomenally talented. Like he's one of the best guitarists we've heard on the podcast in terms of his physical abilities. Like genuinely, I don't want to understate how incredibly talented the man is. But he is obviously, like, just trying to sound like Eddie Van Halen. Like, he he sounds so much like Van Halen uh, in his style that, like, if you just, without con- any other context, got, like, 10 of their five Eddie solos, five Nuno solos, and just played, like, 15-second snippets of the solo and tried to have a person who, like, 
generally liked this style of music guess who was Eddie and who wasn't, you'd have a really hard time figuring it out. Yeah. And so, that's, you know, that, that's it. Uh, no, and, and it, it makes sense. Uh, so I will continue on, and I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and I think he, we're running into a, a one-hit wonder, basically, is extreme. Yeah, and their one hit is the song that doesn't sound like any other song that they've ever So heard. there's two songs that do that on this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one is a song called Wholehearted. It's right, the right. final song on the album. Also uh, partakes in that more acoustic-y, more pop rock sound than mm-hmm. um, than the extreme glam metal rock. And sure. it's their number one and number two songs that ever were any success at all. Right. Like, when that happens, like, you should evaluate yourselves mm-hmm. and your music and be like, hey, what are we doing right here that we're not doing our other stuff. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying you got to change your genre, but maybe try to figure it out. And if I had to guess for more than words, one, it's catchy as all all hell, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a catchy song. But it just feels like there's a little more depth to that song. Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels like there's actually, like, if I have a choice, just, just looking at the titles here. If I told you that I could give you a song and play you a song called More Than Words, or I could play you a song called Lil Jack Horny. <laughs> I knew you were going to pick that one. Which one? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, it's obvious. So it's just, it, it just, for me, there's just not a lot of depth or substance. Nunu Betancourt is the highlight for me again. Gary Cherone is the low light for me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was actually shocked at how disappointed in the actual vocals for More Than Words I was. I sure. guess it was just actually getting to hear more of the flaws in Tyrone's voice. You're used to us singing it. No, you know what? You know who I'm yeah. used to singing it, honestly, because I'm not used to us necessarily. I, sure. I never will forget the Jack Black, Jimmy Fallon cover of this song. They did it for his. I have his, never heard that. They did it for his show. And, like, it's 10 times better. <laughs> and it's like a shot for shot remake of the music video. Okay, so sure, where they're sitting on the stools. Where they're sitting and, on the stools yeah, and stuff. Yeah, okay. But, like, come on, man. A talk show host shouldn't sound better than you. No. And he does, like, Gary Sharon's voice is not that strong. It's not even that strong in the genre he likes to be in. Mm-hmm. Like, here's what I'll give him. Sure. He's the third best singer in Van Halen, and he's arguably the second best singer in his band. Fair enough. And yeah, that's probably the best I can do. And, and I'll go... Mm-hmm. I'll go into the last album here. Please. It's it's not great. Like, let me just say it's not great. <laughs> they they do okay. they do uh again they mess around with a little bit of difference in yes. their in their sound. Uh again, in my opinion, to success. Like mm-hmm. where they're not doing their dumb stuff, their their sounds, they sound better. <laughs> Than when they try to yeah. be the the band they want to be. Yeah. The only things that I could say negative about this one is you you have a little bit of a different style of lacking in originality. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they're no longer a Van Halen ripoff band here, and that's why they're lacking in originality. Right, which was refreshing in some ways to hear an yes. album from them that at least wasn't just trying to be Van Halen on every track. Yes. Uh, now it just sounds like they listened to a thousand hours of hard rock 
mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, we're a computer program that listened to a thousand hours of hard rock, and then we released an album based on that. Sure. I just didn't get any sense of originality from this. Even no. some of the titles, like comfortably <laughs> dumb. Yeah. Like a lot of these, like <laughs> a lot of it just feels like a almost. We talked about the the satire and parody from Beck. Mm-hmm. Like this feels like satire and parody of hard rock. Yeah, but right. it clearly is not like. Whereas before, yeah. I didn't necess- I didn't like Beck's sound, but at least sure. I knew Beck was in on the joke. I like the yep. sound of these better, but I know they're not in on the joke, but they're and not I in don't on like it. Yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. But I will no, say, I in a positive agree. way, there's not a lot of vocal degradation. Um, they're mm-hmm. still going strong vocally, even though I don't think they have the strongest voices. They didn't deteriorate further. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm glad you brought up Comfortably Dumb because when I listened to that song, what I wrote down was Comfortably Dumb at least is a solid descriptor of what their brand of mindless testosterone rock is. Because like, what else could we say? I mean, like, yeah. it's like sonically fine to listen to in the background. But don't try to like get any kind of artistic integrity out of the music. It's very don't try to like enjoy it as art. And it was very interesting to me because I listened to Beck and Extreme back to back, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was very clear to me that they are the exact opposite ends of the spectrum to me. Yeah, sure. Good, pleasant sounding it. music with no depth. Music that's all depth that's just not pleasant sounding. Sure. Um, I'll say like this album was my favorite of the three for reasons yeah. that we've mentioned. Um, Take Us Alive, track four, was the first time, like, in, I guess, I, I, won't, I won't say the first time in three albums, definitely the first time on this album and the first time since, I guess, More Than Words, where I was, like, really, like, oh, I need to pay attention and listen now because yeah. this is, like, almost country-flavored yeah. uh, in its and inspiration. I'll tell you, so that's totally my, different. This was my favorite album of the week. And okay. Th- and that was my review of my favorite album yeah. this week. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah, it's not good. Um, yeah, I- I'll say... Another positive, then, uh, this was the first time where I could really enjoy Nuno uh, Betancourt's guitar work as Nuno Betancourt instead of as Eddie Van Halen, uh, you know, like instead of him just trying to to replicate him. So I enjoyed his playing more on this album, even though it was mostly less flashy. I thought it was at least more of his own voice. uh, And so I like that. Sure. But other than that, you know, uh, most of the time it was just boring. Yeah, everything I mean, is just by numbers, uh, and I think there's a reason why Extreme is often kind of brought up as the band that kind of like signaled the death knells of the '80s hair metal movement. Like, because very <laughs> frequently when we're talking about like this era, late '80s, early '90s, it's like the hair metal was dying out and grunge was taking over the rock yeah. and roll scene because of bands like Extreme and people were like all right well there's nothing there's nothing here left so let's right. move on there's to no originality no. totally um so let's, let's grade them let's grade them <laughs> i mean they're a I mean, one hit wonder yeah they're, they're uh yeah there's no i mean maybe i no. could give them a little bit of like bill and ted cred Not for having even, that other because song because i i'm a music person and i know that song's in there and i never knew it was extreme i didn't know i didn't either i will like, say the only the other context i've heard of them in is like what i just said like I've heard people use extreme as an example of why the genre died. Right. And maybe that could be a, a, a fun <laughs> yeah. little X factor for them. Sure. Okay. But definitely not That's fair. there. Okay. And I'll then tell I'll you specifically because you said Bill and Ted, like mm-hmm. there are other songs that have come out of music or other songs that have come out of movies where you know who it is. Like Power of Love, Huey yeah. Lewis in the News. I know that sure. song from Back to the Future and I know it's Huey Lewis in the News. 
Yeah. I will always yeah, love you from fine. the bodyguard, Whitney Houston. Like, you know. I didn't know that was from a movie. Oh, my God. Really? I've never seen the bodyguard. Uh, De La by Johnny Clegg and Savuka from George of the Jungle. Exactly. One of my favorites. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The Banana okay. Boat song Breath- by uh, Harry Belafonte from Beetlejuice. Sure. That true. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I mean, there are five records here. Uh, Porno Graffiti went double platinum because of More Than Words, yes. and they followed it up with a gold because people started buying it, listened to it, and I assume were like, oh, nope. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, forget that. No, not this. So they, they do at least get like a little bit of credit for those sales. Yeah. Um, and, it's, but I, and it's a bad The music drop. doesn't. Literally, so Porno yeah. Graffiti charts top 10 in the U.S., then three sides to every story, top 10 in the U.S., and because there wasn't another More Than Words on three, yep. four, down to 40. 40. And, and then, then 78. 78. Yeah. Which at least and you think, if anything, that would be like kind of, oh, they'd been broken up for over a decade and this is their comeback album. If anything, that might, like for some artists, that that's gets a little hyped up and they kind of get a bounce back. And I'm, that's probably um, what happened. That's probably why it charted at all. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I, the music wasn't very good. Uh, I'd be willing to give them in the fours because like it wasn't so bad that I'm going to take away points for it. They're going to lose all all those points later on in songwriting and poetic for yeah, what we didn't I mean, like about the record. You're under so, you're under six. You have yeah exactly. You have it's under below six. the average of five record sales typically. One Correct. strong showing and four. One strong showing, one okay showing, three weaker showings. Exactly. I mean, I'd be willing so to I'm maybe the give them a four. Uh, I I don't know if I'd be that low just because I mean. I think five records, unless we start taking away a couple percentage for quality, which I puts am. them at least a little. Okay, I'm I mean, taking away a little bit. I mean, I'm, listen, all right, they're gonna get. They're I'm gonna not gonna get argue hit. with you too hard. They're I'm gonna not gonna get argue hit, with you too but hard. I'm like, it wasn't. There was no depth. There was no reason to listen to no. these albums again. There was no, no. song no, other than no, no, more no. than words that I would want to listen to. Yep. If I'm gonna You're listen right. to this genre, I can think of 15 artists that I'd rather listen to. Fair. So you lose okay. points for that. Instrumental talent is going to be their best score because yes. Nuno Betancourt is phenomenal. Yes, Nuno Betancourt is phenomenal. Gary Cherone is a weak link on vocals, but mm-hmm. he's still a weak link at like a five. Like he's average. Sure. Yeah, right. You, you, uh, need I mean, a, you need an above average singer to sing this genre, and he's not. Yeah, no, he's not. But Nuno is, is way up near the, the tippy top in terms of instrumental talent because, I mean, he's just that good. I mean, to me, he wouldn't quite hit the zenith just because I felt like so much uh, of what sh- he showed off his talent with was incredibly, like, about as derivative as an instrumentalist can be of another instrumentalist. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I still think it has to be a couple points above average because they did show a lot here. Yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to give them, like, as a band, though. I mean, mm-hmm. specifically as a band. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, like, maybe... Nuno's like- pulling them from from average, like up a little bit because he's so close to 10. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, I'd be giving him in the sixes. I agree. So like my, my head was like around six and a half, but I, I whatever yeah, you want. I mean, I can do a six and a half. Okay, songwriting. Since, I'm, I mean, it's bad. It's bad. Songwriting, like, it's not all only, super derivative. I mean, we mentioned that it was derivative and that it was, you know, like extremely paint by numbers, but man, it, it just felt so cheesy too. Like it just felt, oh God, there's, yeah. I have nothing... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they wrote all the songs and they did come out with a couple that were different genres and and different. So for that, that's like the only place that credit is. Yeah. And I'm I'm willing to give them like it's five albums. So they don't even get like an average bonus here. Like like a high two, low three range. I'm okay with that. I I would be okay with like a two point nine. Yeah. 
and, and lyrically then poetic, it's worse. even worse. Yeah, I I got to tell you, you know, we always say like, oh, season one is the season of this. Season two is the season of the big art. Like season three is definitively the season of people who are terrible, terrible lyric writers. Yes, it's absolutely. And like, there are a few. There are definitely like a few. I you know, oases in the middle of the desert. But the, yeah, oh, the lyrics have been terrible this year. No, they they've really been bad. And yeah. It's, I mean, I'd be willing again in the twos, but lower in the twos, like, like I mean, under I, a two I mean, and a half. You I, almost more than words might be the only example of a song that isn't just straight cliches or total nonsense. So, yeah. like, I mean, I'd be I stretching also, to give I them. I did the enjoy two. wholehearted. Okay, but then for that, I'll give them a two, a full fine. two. <laughs> that, that's it. Uh, do we want to give them any credit for like being one of the bands that is frequently cited by like music writers as you know? Oh no! Yeah, they're air metal. I would give them a half a point for that. That's a, like okay. two points for performing a genre and half a point for murdering a genre. For I murdering it, I think works. Duly noted. Okay. So once, which, uh, I mean, should we then go back and give Village People something for murdering disco? Well, maybe <laughs> we'll we'll consider it. Uh, but let for now, let's just move on to Wham. Wham. That, that, that didn't seem like you had a Wham enough, uh, behind it. There you go. Uh, so Wham were an English pop duo formed in Bushy in 1981. Uh, the duo was George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, and uh, right. they are one of the most commercially successful pop acts of the 80s. Sure. And they were active from 81 to 86. So not a lot of time. Not a lot of music. Not a lot of time, not a lot of music. We listened to all of it. Right. Uh, two albums, Fantastic, which honestly really missed calling it Whamtastic. Really missed it. That's a great point. Uh, from 1983, and then Make It Big from 1984. Yes. Uh, and Nick, it is your turn it's to my go turn. first. Uh, okay. So fantastic. It is not. <laughs> it is not fantastic. Fair enough. Um, this album, uh, it sucked. It was what I wrote was, this is what would happen if the Village People and Rick Astley had a baby. Uh, that It would just be this album. It was part terrible disco, part terrible 80s pop like the most manufactured nonsense sounding sounds um it was just oh man like i mean it's not the worst pop album we've ever listened to but boy is that not an endorsement of pop this this album sucked and there was a there was a point where they did a song called the wham rap yes and my god it was i was embarrassed when i listened to it. i was like oh my god if i was responsible in any way shape or form for this I would like live as a hermit in a cave in the woods, never to interact with another human again, because it's not just bad. It was like, I was actually embarrassed. Like it was, it was cringy to the point where almost nothing has been that cringy on the podcast. Sure. Uh, I have no positive comments. This, I could just keep saying how terrible and cringy it was, but I'm going to stop. Yes, please do. Um, here's what I'll say. I didn't love it. I, have a lot of issues with it from an audio standpoint. The pop, yeah. dance pop, 80s sound is strong here. Uh, it's definitely like a post-disco heavy mm -hmm. influence. Uh, but I will say some positives. I didn't dislike their cover of Love Machine. And okay. their cover of Love Machine is the only song on the album not written by them. True. George Michael and Andrew Ridgely wrote every other song on this album. Rare for pop acts. True. So that's what I, that you know, that's yeah. interesting. 
Uh, musically, yeah. yes, there's a lot of issues here. The Wham rap was oh. atrocious. I oh. mean, we'll, we'll be clear <laughs> on that. Um, and a lot of the stuff is so dated. I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. problem here. It's dated. Yeah. None of this totally. is timeless. Wham yeah. has some stuff that's timeless. We'll get to. Mm-hmm. This is not any of it. Bad Boys, yeah. Array of Sunshine, Club Tropicana. This is all stuff yeah. that I could totally see putting them on the map in the 80s, and it stays firmly in the yeah. 80s. N- yeah, none of that has stood the test of time. If you right. asked anyone what to name a Wham song, not a single thing on their first album would ever be brought up. No, and that's absolutely fair. Uh, so, so it's more original than a lot of pop acts very very of the time and not great for it and that's pretty much it i don't want to get too i'm not going to just sit here and rag him sure uh make it big and here here's the thing it did yeah make it big was enormous and it starts off the number one song on this album huge wake me up before you go go gigantic hit for them Mm-hmm. It's the one that stands up the test of time. Absolutely. You've heard that song. It's huge. There's a few songs on here that you've heard before. The Mostly the first one and the last one. It, right. Because yeah. the final track on this is Careless Whisper. Exactly. And that's one of the is, greatest one of the greatest riffs ever. Oh, my God. Absolutely. absolutely love that. So just, you know, it's still a little bit dated. It's, you know, the pop new wavy sound. Uh, they've lost the post-disco sound here. Yeah. Uh, but here's what I'll give them credit for. Again, they did an Isley Brother cover, um, if you were there. But the rest of the songs are all written by them. And it was yep. one year later, and they sound extremely different. True. So, True. like, For the better. Definitely for the better. It's like two sides of a coin here. Like mm-hmm. a very quick turn. It was like they very quickly released that first album took what they liked about it and took what they didn't like about it and made the adjustments and then went. Yeah. And I enjoyed this one a lot more. There were still problems. It's still dated. And it, like, yeah, totally. There are still a couple things where it's like, ah, I'm not going to listen to that again. But yeah. getting to go through that process was very interesting. And, of course, obviously after this, George Michael then had a much bigger solo career. For sure. But Wham! really got it started. And you could really mm-hmm. start to tell where it was going to go. And I sure. still think George Michael's biggest songs came from Wham. Knowing Careless Whisper came from Wham, George yeah. Michael's biggest song came from Wham. Careless yeah, Whisper is very arguably George Michael's biggest song. Faith, right, is, Faith which, is up there as well. Faith is up there too. Yeah, no, I mean, he's got a couple. Um, but it would be hard to argue against Careless Whisper at least being in that conversation as right. number one. Uh, and it was co-written by Andrew Ridgely. Absolutely. Yeah. If at least, you know, he made some significant contributions to it. But then that song outside of the U.S., everywhere else in the world, was uh, marketed and and credited as a George Michael solo song, which to me seems like kind of a controversy that Andrew Ridg- Ridgely had a lot to do with the composition of that song uh, yeah. and then was kind of just like kicked to the curb everywhere outside of the U.S. Um, seems like I, I don't know the whole story behind it, but it, it does make me wonder um, a little bit about like how things happened when they broke up as a group and uh, whatever else, you know, I'm not, I'm not implying that it must've been anything shady uh, where anyone was like taking well, advantage of anyone else, but be, I do wonder. To be fair, Ridgely was not exactly the victim here. Sure. Uh, one uh, of the main reasons when well broke up was because Ridgely had gotten this 
really strong reputation as like a drunken party animal. He would make scenes mm. and get kicked out of clubs. He got oh, kicked he should out have been in the, a rock band. He got kicked out of Live Aid, the party from at the end of Live Aid. Oh my god, so that's like, wild. Yeah, he had some issues. Yeah, uh, just okay. to be clear, sure. Uh, so yeah, I thought this album was better than the first one. The first one was absolute garbage. This one was at least listenable. Um, obviously, like wake me up before you go go. I acknowledge its significance. I don't really need to hear it. The only one I would ever intentionally listen to is Careless Whisper, but that's fine. Um, I, I really do genuinely like that song. I also really liked the first minute of the song Like a Baby. The instrumental introduction to that song I thought was really good. The rest of it, I probably didn't need. Um, I thought the song Heartbeat sounded like it could have been a Bruce Springsteen song. Yes. Ah. <laughs> like, these, I just have, like, some neutral comments. The fact that I have more neutral comments about this album with, like, a few things that I liked already tells you how much of an improvement that it was uh, over the first one. Yeah. And it tells you that, you know, this wasn't a particularly strong week of listening or a particularly enjoyable artist to to make it through all the way. And that's pretty much all I need to say about them. So we can grade them. Yes, we can. So cultural impact. This is going to be tough. It is because we have to separate the George Michael out of it. It's just wham. But we can definitely give them credit for like uh, being the force behind George Michael's solo career. Um also, like, they hit hard and fast, and then we're gone in a flash. Like, the first album wasn't really that big outside of the UK, and none of the songs really lasted. But the second album, it's mostly 1984 happens, Make It Big happens, and, and they're I, huge I, from that. One big And then thing, they're broken up shortly after. One big thing, one big credit I want to give to Wham! is they are one of the few bands, or one of the few artists in general, to create like a non-standard christmas song that yeah, became you're right. you're part right. of this like we don't talk about christmas one of albums the better christmas 99 percent no. of them are garbage but last christmas last is christmas. one of the better christmas songs totally agree so just totally agree. throwing that out there giving them credit for that yeah and i think no, that i agree uh wham is much more in the cultural zeitgeist than the sum of their parts like then, I get then that. you know any other two album band would be. I think a lot of people know who Wham is. I think their songs. Sure. I think they honestly, probably Wham, could name three songs from two albums if they remember Last Christmas. From two albums, I think Wham has more songs that hold up to the average listener than every other artist we've done combined on this show so far. Mm-hmm. Like the the average consumer will know Loser by Beck. And more than oh, you mean on this show in particular? Because I was about to be like, Pat, we've done the Beatles. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean on this specific episode. Okay. So like, the average consumer will probably know "Loser" by Beck and more than words. They might know Mm -hmm. a second Beck song, sure, possibly. Yeah, I just don't think it keeps songs right, and I just don't think it gets them that high because Wham was just so short lived, and it was such a like. You know, I don't know. I a mean, flash in the pan kind of fame. I, I don't. I I'm not like saying the, they're a low score, but I'm just saying that like they're not like super high above average or anything because no, I think they had a very short lived career, put a couple of songs out there, and then they were gone. But I think for I think they're one of the few bands that I think should hit average with only two albums out that nobody. Died. I would be. Fu- oh, I don't. I don't have a problem with that. Like I'd be putting them in like the five and a half range. Which I'm saying, you take an art, you take okay. an artist with two albums where nobody died, and there are five and a half culturally. That's huge. Yeah. Okay. And I agree. I that. understand. I think that. it should be there. All right. I'm not going to fight you on that. 
Yeah, and I mean, here's uh, where here's where there's some trouble. So yeah, I mean, because the rest albums. of these are going to be hurt by the fact that there's two albums. There's yeah. two albums. However. One sold very well. They are the artist this week with by far the highest sales. Over 30 million albums. Mm-hmm. That's higher. Yeah. Th- that might be higher than Beck and Extreme combined. It could be. So just based on the certifications. Sure. I agree. So uh, even- the music itself is not necessarily helping them. They have one album where I'd say like it maybe stays above. It, it's kind of hangs there. And then one album that's just pure garbage. Yeah. I mean, I understand where you're coming from with it, but I'm just based on just based on the, the, the sales thresholds, the popularity, the fact that, you know, I'm I'm in higher than I would normally be for two albums. Still below average, it has to be. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, two albums would probably put us around a one point six, one point seven ish as is, uh, if they were just yeah. two albums and we left them alone. I would have no problem giving them uh, a decent amount of credit for the the albums that they sold, but I gotta I gotta nerf them for the quality a little bit. There's no way not to do that because the first, I mean, they had one album that was like solid for pop and one album that was atrocious. I mean, I guess I, I understand. I'm not trying to nerf them too hard. Where where are you thinking? I mean, I I think maybe three ish. I think that would be giving them nearly a that would be giving like a solid point and a half of sales and then taking like point one point two off. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can do that. Like a three. Yeah. Uh, instrumental talent. I mean, George Michael can certainly sing. They both can sing. They're both okay. I mean, yeah, sure. Andrew Ridley's yeah. not a bad singer by any stretch. No, he's not. Uh, there's nothing else, like, musically that, that really stands out in terms of the instrumental talent. I mean, like, sometimes the synthy stuff can get abrasive. Um, yeah, but, I mean, but it's in— It's not a bad score. It's not a bad score. It's just also, again, not a great score to me either. Yeah, and, I mean, they're playing, like, actual instruments on these as well though like andrew ridgely sure. played the guitar yeah he does george mm-hmm. michael played the keyboard you know there's things yeah. that actually were were played totally just you know not in a way that was particularly impressive no 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 but i mean they're good vocalists i mean they're they're above mm-hmm. average vocalists below average musicians that boils down right. to like an average group sure to yeah. me i mean is that what you want to be you want to be around a five yeah right around average yeah okay that's that's fine by me uh, and these next two scores have to suffer from two albumitis. Yeah, I mean, um, here's the issue that I'm having. Sure, I agree that they should suffer from two averageitis or two songitis, whatever. Two albumitis, yeah. as you put it. Right. But one of these albums has two huge songs. We know that they've written multiple sure. huge songs. Sure. So like they write in a popular way. Okay, but I I mean. If you told me, like, oh, is Wham a really great duo of songwriters? Are they really pushing the boundaries and doing oh, new no, and no, no. things? But I'm saying, like, like, no, I'm not really like it. I'm not going to colossally hurt them on this score. Yeah. But I'm not going to give them much more credit than you can get for getting two albums out there of music. Sure. It's I mostly mean, not actively offensive, but uh, sometimes it's. I don't. So, what number are you, are you leaning into? I don't know. Maybe in the two ish range. See, I don't know. I would I would listen to this second album every day for a week before I listen to another extreme album. That's interesting because you told me Saudades de Rock was your favorite album from the week. No, 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 no. I'm ago. sorry. Minus Saudades de Rock. Minus that one. Mm, that one okay. doesn't count because I do yeah. like that one no, the most. I agree with that. Like, and we and we nerfed Extreme pretty bad for their, their songwriting quality. Like did. I don't think that yeah, I don't know. It's three less albums and 
it's it's not that good. It's, <laughs> I, no, it's not that good, and I understand that. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I mean, other so than Sawdust like, to Rock, I mean, this um, Make It Big is my second favorite album of the week. Um, sure. And then I didn't have anyone else, any other albums sure. that ranked. I mean, like, I don't know how much higher than a two you want to get. There's just, there's not much to stand on other than, well, like, I guess that they kind of sold some records and some people liked it, which is not what we're supposed to be catering to, I don't think. No, that's fine. So, I mean, we'll give them a two, and then I would like to give them a point two for the Careless Whisper riff. So 2.2. Do you want to give them point two in X Factor for the Careless Whisper riff? No, that's songwriting. It's literally a written song. It's literally songwriting. Okay. It's one of the most famous riffs ever. It's a great riff. And it's on the Poetic sax. Town. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about the Poetic Town here? I didn't think there was all that nothing, much going on. No, I mean, there's very <laughs> There's nothing happening, right? Here. I mean, can they get negative points for the Wham rap? Is they, that is that allowable? They cannot. Because let me put it to you this way. If you told me, hey, Pat, you have to do an interpretive reading of lyrics, and your choices are... The Wham Rap or any Ted Nugent song. Yeah, well, obviously it's the Wham still, Rap. Right. So at least we can laugh at that together. Right. The Wham Rap is corny. It's a little cheesy, but it was almost. It was like the ad- adult version of the New Kids on the Block. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is not a good score either, especially because it wasn't good, and there were only two records of it. I'm in the ones. Yeah. That's. Uh, yeah, no, I guess I can go. Like, yeah, I, I understand ones. that you're like looking for ways to be positive in this scenario. Because here's the thing, and like, I respect I, it. They're not, they're not actively bad. Like, they're not doing the first anything. album was a lot, right? Of but actively th- bad. they're but not the second bad in reasons that I don't like. Like to me, like let me put it to you this way, very seriously, the first album is bad in the mm-hmm. same way that like I didn't like back stuff. But I recognize that he, they weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't writing to the median. They were writing songs that they mm-hmm. thought were good, and they sure. just weren't. And then they got yeah. good in the second album. Right. So, like, I give some so, props for that. Sure. How much Did you want to go much above one, as is, for Poetic Town? No. I mean, like, a, one is fine. I feel, like we, I feel like the ones are people that are, like, straight up offensive. So like well, a, like a I mean, one but that's that's a one for people who like have six, seven, ten albums, not one for people Let's who only have two a albums. One point seven. That high? I don't. We rarely I can't we go rarely go seven. to the sevens. Yeah, the, I don't think the they deserve a one point seven. I I think that's too much for a band that wrote two albums worth of not good lyrics. But wake me up before you. I can go-go. give you like they rhymed go go with that good yo-yo. Of a song. That, I'm not impressed by that. That's impressive. The most I can give you is like one point two. All right, one point three. Okay. There it is. All right. Now, uh, is there X Factor? I, I guess not because... We kind of covered it. Well, my only Anything X Factor we... is George Michael-specific stuff. Like his, sure. his like coming out as, as a gay man in 1998, very strong actor. But that, I LGBT. think... That's George Michael's be George solo Michael. career. Yeah. So like yeah, we'll discuss that more. So I don't have anything for Wham. Okay. Uh, well, then... Pat, I've got a nail biter for you with scores. Ugh, I'm not gonna lie. Can I tell you? Can wins. I tell you that second and third? Do you know how many points it was decided by? No. Point one. Okay, let me put it to you. I want to be very clear. Sure. If Wham lost by point one because you didn't give me that one point seven, I will fight you physically. Because that did not happen. Okay, then we're fine. Wham came in second by point one. Oh, okay. Uh because of our big loser for the day. You loser.
was obviously extreme. Yeah. With a 16.9. Yeah, and that's a little you high. You getting that 1.3 for Poetic Talent out of Wham was the only reason why they didn't tie. Yeah, well, Wham had a they 17. They didn't deserve to tie. Yeah. I would tell you that they did not deserve to tie. And I mean, I think that if they tied and we had to let and we went down to a vote for like the point one points to see who to to break the tie, we both probably would have voted for Wham. Yeah, and they would have won the tie break, but still. Uh, and then Beck was our winner for the day with a twenty-eight. Winner, winner, oh, yeah. chicken dinner. Oh, man. With a how many? Forgot about that. I know. I forgot that was coming. But twenty-eight. Twenty-eight for Beck. Uh, that's a little high. All right. I disagree. Yeah, I know you do, but that's a little. But high. anyway, uh, I am excited for next week because we got all sorts of stuff happening. Uh, and one of the groups that we're going to be looking at. Well, let's uh, let me put it this way. And hold on, I want to get the the pun exactly right. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, it is the only band, as the joke goes, uh, that has nine arms and loves to rock. <laughs> I get it. So if you if you can't figure it out from there, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, you should probably be able to figure it out. Which person in the world has three arms? <laughs> right. There's only the one the <laughs> uh, one guy obviously. with three arms. Uh, but yeah, that's gonna wrap us up, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for tuning in as we got to. Go through a, a, a lackluster week for us, but hopefully a still entertaining sure. week for you. Hopefully. Yeah, this season, man. You really... Highlights uh, and lowlights. But really, yeah, we just put together all the terrible lyricists. Oof. Yeah, no, it's bad. It's it's interesting, the, the themes that kind of reveal themselves during the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, I hated it. <laughs> I hated this episode <laughs> pretty much. Uh, Good to know. But hopefully you didn't, audience. Exactly. And hopefully we've now steered you in a direction where if you were maybe thinking of dusting off your leather jacket and becoming a Wham! fan or growing your hair out to do extreme stuff or whatever the hell Beck does. Um, Be a Scientologist, I guess. Yeah. How do we not talk about the fact that he was a Scientologist? Uh, we sh- we should have. No, you know, we don't, we don't want to. We would have been canceled yeah. and put on a list by Hold the Church on, of Scientology. Not they would have. Scientology wouldn't cancel us, but we would have been like legitimately like canceled as like the we, current social media. We would term. have been no, no, we would have been in danger. Yes, but we didn't say yeah. anything bad about Scientology. Just no. that Beck is no. a Scientologist, which is a correct. Fact. And everything we said afterwards in no way implied negative feelings about the Church of Scientology at, at all. Zero percent. Praise Zenu. <sighs> I mean, anti-Zenu. Zenu is bad. He is the evil psychologist overlord. But anyway. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Make sure you use the hashtag Totem Talks to describe your love of this episode. Uh, make sure you're sharing it with your friends. Uh, word of mouth is the number one way to spread podcasts, so we're trusting you and your mouths and your words. Uh, and if you guys really like it, there's always listener support, but no pressure. We yes. love you either way. And uh, we love you so much. We want you to have a great day. Mm-hmm.